Last week I began to teach you about the spiritual changes happening in the world. We, we need to be like the men of Issachar in the Old Testament. The Bible says they understood their times and therefore knew what Israel should do. If we don't understand our times, we're not going to make decisions flowing from the right system of logic. Just a few moments ago, as I introduced Brother John, I told you that COVID-19, th- this, is not, this is not the whole big deal that's going on right now. COVID-19, this is, this is a small piece of a huge change in the spiritual realm happening right now. The pestilence stalks in the darkness. We're looking at the pestilence. What we should be looking at is the spiritual environment of darkness that is allowing this thing to, to do what it's doing right now. So last week I began to talk to you out of Luke chapter 22, verse 53. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane said, Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns, when darkness reigns. And the first thing I did was say, now listen, we don't need to be afraid of this, because even in the season when darkness reigns, Jesus is still Lord. Remember, he came out and said, I am he, and they all fell on their faces. They all fell to the ground, including Satan, who was inside of Judas at that time. So please never think that because it's a season when darkness reigns, that there is a season in which the promises of God are not true. Just because it's a season when darkness reigns, that does not mean that God has left his throne or Jesus is no longer Lord. Oh my goodness, no. But we do need to understand the spiritual climate that we are living in. Now, last week we began to study the fact that we must stand against, first of all, the schemes of the devil. The methodia, the the logical orderly arrangement for the purpose of deception of the slanderer. So we said we have to learn to stand against that. We said we have to learn to stand against rulers. And the Greek word there, archaea, literally means an instigator, an initiator, an originator, the beginning of something. So they're not just demon spirits. They're demon spirits that are the the lead influencers. They, they rule people by their influence and things. And forgive me, you, you look at some of the things happening in the world and you see flashpoints. When you see flashpoints, that is the effect of an archaea, of a ruling spirit. Then we had to take a stand against authorities. These are the administrative demons. And then we talked about cosmic powers. These are demons that rule entire empires. Daniel 10, we saw that the prince of Persia was leaving and he's being replaced by the prince of Greece. And that when these huge uprisings in ancient culture and society occurred, that's because the demons were changing. And right now we need to realize we're in a season where demon powers are being rearranged in this world. Satan is the god of this world and he can give the kingdoms of this world to whoever he wishes. And Jesus never disagreed with that statement. So Satan controlling these demon powers, these territorial spirits who rule empires. It's in seasons like this that empires rise and empires fall. Now we closed out in this last time with Ephesians chapter 6 beginning with 10 through 13 from the Phillips translation to kind of summarize the whole sermon last week. Phillips translation was really good. He said, in conclusion, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord. In the power of his boundless resource. I like that. In the power of his boundless resource. Put on God's complete armor so that you can successfully resist all the devil's methods of attacks. For our fight is not against any physical enemy, but is against the organizations and powers that are spiritual. We are up against the unseen power that controls this dark world and the spiritual agents from this very headquarters of evil. Therefore, you must wear the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand evil in its day of power. Did you hear that? 
resist evil in its day of power. That's one of these days. And that even when you have fought to a standstill, you may still stand your ground. Now next week, Lord willing, we're going to get into that passage again. But today I want us to move to Philippians chapter 3 and begin to learn how to stand. We talked about the fact that we need to stand. Now how do we stand? Beginning with verse 12, Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, whose minds are set on earthly things. Did you hear that? These people have their minds focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my dear brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm thus. Now, that's a little bit of archaic English. So let me read it to you in the NIV. Therefore, my brothers, whom you love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I like that. Now, we said last week we have to learn how to stand. Paul said, this is how you stand firm in the Lord. Now, what is the this? This is referring you back to everything we have just read in the context. All of these things above, Paul said, as you do them, this is how you stand firm in the Lord. Now, let me walk you through four real quick thoughts today. Number one, we stand by having a mature thought life. Number two, we stand by holding true to what we have already attained. Number three, we stand by standing with our leadership. And number four, we stand by remembering and focusing on our future in heaven with Jesus. Now, let me take you through these one by one. First of all, we stand by having a mature thought life. He said, let those, verse 15, let those who are mature think in this way. Let those who are mature think in this way. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on behalf for you on behalf of his prayers, that you may stand mature. Notice, you have to, if you're going to stand mature, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So he said, now listen, you're going to have to learn maturity if you're going to stand. And maturity is a way of thinking. It's not how many years you've been saved. It's not how big you are. You know, you can have a 20-year-old man acting like a baby with a, 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 a sucker in his mouth. And you'd go, what in the world? Well, that's like some Christians. They've been born again for 20 years, but they're still on milk. Now, to stand requires mature thinking. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will, be pa will pass away. 
When I was a child, he said, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Or I gave up childish things. As an adult, there are things that you put away. That's part of childhood. I, I remember when, when Shasha first got married, we were laughing one day, and she and EJ were talking, and, and they said a term that I'd heard it before, and I'd probably read it before, but I'd never heard somebody actually say it. They said, we're adulting. I said, you're what? We're adulting. And I began to realize, I heard that word more and more coming from young people in the world today. Young people are adulting. They're learning. I have to put away the children's things. I had to put away a childish way of thinking, and I have to do some adulting. Now, let's talk about some spiritual adulting here for a few minutes. How, how does spiritual adulting work? How does maturity work? Well, go back up to verse 12. This is how we stand. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Make what? This, my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I myself made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what lies ahead. Now, there's two thoughts I want you to see there. He said, now, this is mature thought life. You, you make your goal to be this, and you make your goal to stress and strain toward what lies ahead. Now, let's take these piece by piece. First, what is the this? What is the this that fills a mature Christian's thought life. Well, first of all, the this is a righteous life that comes by faith. Look at verse 9. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith, that, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Now notice, this is a, first of all, a righteous lifestyle. Now, when we talk about righteousness, we have to look at it in two ways. We have to look at it from the standpoint of positionally, spiritually in Christ, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, spiritually, in our spiritual position, God sees us as righteous. Everybody say, I'm righteous. Okay? That's our spiritual position. But now we also have to talk about our experiential righteousness. Now, God sees you as righteous in Christ. But uh, what experiences are we having every day? Now, that's not talked about much, and sometimes we call this sanctification. You know, you see preachers on, on Facebook knocking back shooters in, in clubs with, with the young people of their church and hanging out with the movie stars knocking back shooters, and you, you just look at that and you go, somebody hasn't grown up yet. You see, you attain righteousness both positionally and experientially by faith. You pray about it. There are sins in your life. I mean, please, God perfects the good work he began within us. We, we can't change ourselves by an act of our willpower. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, you think of how many times, for instance, I used to smoke from the time I was about 10 or 11 years old. And, you know, I was taking grape-flavored vodka to junior high school, you know, when I was in seventh and eighth grade. I mean, life was a mess. Now, the drinking kind of tapered off, but the, the cigarettes, they only got worse and worse and worse. Two packs a day plus a pipe. I mean, you know, I'm in college, two packs a day and a pipe. I mean, I was a regular chimney. I was a regular smokestack from a factory. Now, you don't just stop that. 
You, you just don't stop. I mean, I watch people try to stop. They use patches. They use all these kind of things. They try to taper off. And I tell everybody, you, you, you can't clean up experientially. You can't clean up and become more righteous or sanctified experientially doing it in your own active will. You can't do it with medicine. You can't do it with self-help courses. It's by faith. You say, well, how did you stop, Pastor? I said, well, Jesus, you saved me. You set me free. I quit. It's by faith. I've never smoked a cigarette since. In fact, to be honest, being around them, it kind of makes me gag. And I know that sounds really weird, but if you've ever smoked and then you get back around it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, at some point, you're going to have to understand. Paul said, this is how a mature person thinks. A mature person thinks, I haven't obtained this righteousness yet, but this is what I'm pursuing. I'm pursuing not just the positional righteousness. I have that in Christ. I'm pursuing the experiential righteousness that comes by faith. But then he takes it a step farther. There's some more to the this. He says, back up in verse 8, he said, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for which whose sake I've lost all things, and I consider them rubbish, basura, that I may gain Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. He said, now, now this is the is. This, this is what you pursue. A mature mind pursues righteousness by faith. A mature mind pursues knowing Christ. I, I meet so many Christians today. They can tell you every movie star. They can tell you every out-of-wedlock child. They can tell you everything to drink in a, in a club. They can tell you all the gambling tables in every casino. But when you begin to talk to them about Jesus, um, I mean, there's just, there's just not much there. Their, their knowledge is very limited. Now, a mature person is ignorant, is like a child in the things of this world, but they're wise in the things of the Spirit because they're pursuing a knowledge of Jesus. Now, he, he gets really, really strong in here. He, he talks about, I don't want to just know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead shall quicken or give life to our mortal bodies. He says, I don't want to just know Jesus. I, I want to know his miracle working power. And then he continues, he said, and in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul said, I don't want to just know Jesus in the good days. He said, I don't want to be one of these fair weather friends of Jesus that, you know, they're hanging out when the fishes and the loaves are there. And when, as long as Jesus is cool, man, I'm, I'm there. But when everybody leaves, I want to be like those guys who said, Jesus, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. When Jesus is persecuted, when, when we're persecuted for being Christians, when it's hard to live the Christian life, when we are mocked and made fun of, he said, Jesus, I want to share. I want to share in, in knowing you in those days. Because he remembered, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Jesus? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. He remembered that a persecuted, mocked Christian, Jesus feels every bit of that. So Jesus, this is how a mature person thinks. We pursue a righteous lifestyle by faith. We pursue knowing God. But in addition to that, we pursue the goals that God has for us.
Now, notice he goes on down to verse 14. I said, there's a this. We defined the things that are the this. Now look at verse 14. And I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What are the goals that God has for you? What is the cross that God has for you to carry? What are the plans and purposes that God has for your lives? A mature person focuses on that. Now, now please forgive me, brothers and sisters. I say this with complete respect. But you know what? Sometimes you've got to get your focus off of this COVID-19 and get your focus back on the plan that God has for your life. God's plan for your life. You've heard me say it a hundred times. God's plan for your life has not changed. God's purpose for your life has not changed. God's calling upon your life has not changed. I've had so many pastors call me and say, Pastor, there's a great falling away of preachers. So what are you talking about? So many pastors are leaving the ministry and they're not going to come back. Pastor, there are so many pastors, there are so many churches that say they're going to close and never reopen. And I keep saying, why? Well, COVID-19, well, forget COVID-19. For, I mean, please, with, with no disrespect, brothers and sisters, forget COVID-19. God's plan, God's purpose for your life will stand. Now you stand with God for that plan and purpose for your life. God gave you a plan to start that business. He didn't, he didn't plan to bring you out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and let you drown because of a storm. He said, let's go to the other side. God's plan. He is going to fulfill those plans and purposes for your life. In fact, if anything, you should be looking for expansion. Oh, yeah. God's called you to be a doctor. Oh, Pastor Summerall, after seeing what these people have been through, I don't know that I can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If it's God's will for your life, God will give you the grace to do it. If it's God's plan for your life, God will give you the grace to do it. But you have to pursue he said, notice, I press toward the goal. You, you, you can't just stand back and let the pressures of life push you away from the goal. You have to press toward that goal. With every bit of energy that God puts in within you, you've got to press toward that goal. Oh, my beloved, please don't give up on the plans and purposes for your life. There are so many people right now in this COVID-19, in this season of darkness, that they've just given up on the goals and the dreams and the plan God has for them. Don't you be one of them. Stretch yourself. Press with every bit of energy that God puts within you every day, pressing toward that goal. Now that's my first point. Secondly, we stand in the season of darkness by holding true to what we already have attained. Now again, remember the key verse, Philippians 4 verse one, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord. How? Go back to the context, to the things he's just listed. Philippians 3.16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold true to what we have already obtained. New International Version says, let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, part of this means holding firm to what you have already been taught. This is not a time of new revelation. Have you noticed almost every bit of my teaching for the last hundred plus days, two services a day, has been reminder teaching? Because this is not a time where we're learning new truths. This is a time that we hold on to what we have already attained. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
To this he called you through the gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He said, listen, would you, would you just stand firm? Would you just hold on to everything that we've taught you? This is not a time. See, seasons of darkness like this are when people change their doctrines. Let me say that again. Seasons of darkness are when people change. They, they give up great truth. They, they give up on great truth because they see things that make them question the validity of those truths. There are people right now that are giving up on the doctrine of healing because they, they, they think it's not working. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> he, he's still Lord. He's still the healer. Jesus used to heal the pestilence. He still heals the pestilence today. And if he tarries, he'll heal the pestilence next year. The promises of God are true. Hold on to what you've learned. There are people who've given up on doctrines of God's goodness because they say, how can a good God allow this to happen? God had nothing to do with this. God's protecting us. This is all the work of the devil. Don't, don't blame God for what the devil does. Oh, an act of God. This is not an act of God, like the insurance thing says. When the insurance people say, tell me, do you want protection against the acts of God? I say, no, 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 no. I want all the acts of God. Now, I do want protection against the acts of the devil. Floods are the act of the devil. COVID-19 is an act of the devil. But there are people who, who give up on the goodness of God. There are people right now who are giving up the truth that God will provide that God has promised to provide, that he knows your needs and he knows you have need of these things. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added to you. They're giving up that truth because they say, I can't see it right now. There are people that are giving up the truth of tithing. They, they hear some weird teaching about tithing and they, they give up everything they believe about tithing. And they stop tithing and you go, do you really want to close the windows of heaven in the middle of a storm? In the middle of when you need God's provision more than ever before, do you, the tithe opens the windows of heaven. Do you really want to close the windows of heaven over your life and your family right now? There are people that have given up all of these truths. See, in the days when darkness reigns, doctrines change. So Paul says, you've got to hold on to what you've already attained. Also, you have to hold on to your freedom. Philippians 3, verse 16, let us hold on to what we've already attained. Part of that is the truth we have learned, and part of that is the righteous life that we have learned to live. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't submit to the power of sin in your life again. You got set free from that alcoholism. You got set free from that drugs. You got set free from that adultery. You got set free from that pornography. You got set free. Don't let, don't, don't bow again. Don't submit yourself again to the yoke of slavery. Hold on to what you've already attained. Let me read you two more verses. Proverbs 10, verse 25. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Another translation says, but the righteous will stand. I like that. A brother came to me, and I, you know, I always change my stories. Kaya, I wouldn't embarrass anybody. But in the middle of all this, he had some restaurants, and 
no customers, and he sold his food that he had in the freezers and his stocks and everything for what he could get, and it wasn't much. And he says, you know, I've got to pay the rent on the buildings. He said, I've tried to pay the staff. He said, Pastor, I, I don't know if I even have enough money to reopen, and if I reopened, I don't know if I could make a go of it, if there'll be customers. And, and he said, Pastor, I, I went and got drunk. I said, you did what? He said, I went and got drunk. And he was not proud of it. He was ashamed. He was full of guilt and condemnation. See, first the devil tempts you to sin, then he beats you with it. He was full of guilt and condemnation. I said, no, no, please, tell me what happened. I said, God loves you. Tell me what happened. And he said, well, you know, Pastor, I got really discouraged. And you know, I used to be an alcoholic. I said, yeah, but you've been living for Jesus for four or five years now. and You've been doing good. He said, yeah. But he said, Pastor, I just got so discouraged. I just went and got drunk. He said, and I stayed drunk four or five days. And I said, well, tell me how you felt when you got over your drunk. He said, oh, Pastor, I was throwing up. I was so sick. He said, my head hurt. He said, I felt so ashamed. I felt so guilty. I said, so let me get this straight. Getting drunk for four or five days didn't help you a bit. No. Didn't help the business. No. Didn't bring any money in. No. Didn't bring any customers in. No. So getting drunk did nothing to help you. No. I said, that's the devil. I said, he again brought you back into slavery. Now, now some of you are listening to me. In these hard days, you've been tempted to go back to the pornography you were set free from. You've been tempted to go back to the alcoholism you've been set free from. That, that pressure seems to drive you back in that direction. In these seasons when darkness reigns, not only do doctrines change, but forgive me, dogs return to their vomit. Lifestyles go back to what they were before. See, that's the pressure. And what you have to do is just say, no, no. I will hold on to what I have attained. I'm clean. I'm sober. I'm not going back to that anymore. That's not going to help. If I go do that, it's not going to help anything. It's not going to make me feel better, and it's not going to make the situation better. I will hold on to the freedom that Christ has given me. I could preach this one for five hours on all the things that we hold on to, but let me take you a step farther. We stand by standing with leadership. Now, this is the reason I'm sitting down today, because if I preach this, I would get too energetic, and people might misinterpret me. This sounds a little self-centered, but it's not self-centered. And please, you've known me for 40 years, you know my heart. So please listen to the words and don't think that I've got, I'm not trying to boost myself. You know me better than that. But Paul says in Philippians 3, this is part of the, this is how you stand. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, let's deal with that word, us and me. Why didn't Paul say imitate Peter? They don't know Peter that well. Why didn't Paul say imitate Apollos? They don't know Apollos that well. Why did Paul say imitate me? Because they lived with him and they knew him. So when I look at you and I say, as leaders, imitate us. You know us for 40 years. You know Pastor Pagadora, well, maybe not for 40 years, but almost. You know Pastor Manalo. You know the Urugs. You know the Garcias. You know Sister Bev. I mean, you know Pastor Babes. You, you know us. You have to learn that if you're going to stand in these times, you have to look at people who are walking through the storm with you. 
to see how they're dealing with this, to see how they're facing this, and imitate them. So in these seasons when darkness reigns, the devil is always trying to pull people away from the leadership that God has placed in their life because that leadership walks ahead of you in the storm so that you know how to get through the storm. So he said, join in imitating us and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He said, now, you know, there are some yahoos running around that, that you know, they think they're so much smarter than everybody else and they always put me down and they always put all the rest of us down. But he said, you know, pay attention. Keep your eye on the people that imitate us, that walk in the same pattern that we gave you. Paul says it this way in Hebrews 13, verse 6. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, here's some truth. If you're going to stand, you're going to have to learn to stand with the leaders that God has placed in your life. Now, he said, listen, imitate their faith. He didn't say imitate our mistakes. He didn't say imitate our failures. And my failures are legion. You know, I mean, please forgive me. I make no claims of perfection. But Paul doesn't teach us to imitate the failures and the mistakes of our leaders. He teaches us to imitate the faith. So don't pay attention to my failures, but do pay attention to my faith. And he said, consider the outcome. Look at my life. Look at Sister Bev's life. Look at Pastor Babes's life. Look at Pastor Pugadora's life. Look at Willie's life. Look at, at, at Pastor Ruth's life. Look at those of us that have been around for a long time. And look at the outcome of our life. Look at our families. Look at how God has blessed us. Look at the outcome. Look at the fruit of our life. Consider this. Is this the kind of fruit that you want? Is this the kind of marriage that you want? Is this the kind of family that you want? Is this the type of faith and the promises of God that you want? Now, at some point, you've got to decide who to listen to. Now, Paul continues, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 and 9. He said, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Now, again, the us is because you know us. Because we were not idle when we were with you. He said, you know, Paul said, listen, these other preachers, they're lazy. He said, you, you saw how hard I worked when I was with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. You've never seen Sister Bev or me or, or Pastor Manala or Pastor Pagadora go around and take advantage of people. You, you've never seen us go around and exploit people and ask for things for ourselves. You've never seen that in 40 years. He said, Paul said, you know, you need to pay attention to us. We're not like these people out going out just mooching off your lives. He said, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. He said, it was not because we don't have the right, but to give, you an, to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul said, we work like dogs so that you would have an example to imitate. He said, now listen, these are the kind of leaders you need to pay attention to. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, I urge you then to be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Philippians 3, 17, join in imitating me. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9, which you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. This is a theme of Paul's life. Now, COP, you don't know every other preacher in the world, but you know us. 
you know, those of us that have walked with you for 40 years. Now, in this season when darkness reigns, you have to make a decision. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to follow? Now, this is important. Back in Philippians 3, verse 8, as part of this context, Paul said, many, and I've told you about this often, and I tell you now with tears. He said, it brings me no pleasure to tell you this. Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, how can a Christian walk as an enemy of Christ? Well, Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. He said, you know, they got the, you've got these guys, and you see how they live. They talk one thing, but man, when you see how they live, now, you have to understand that in seasons of darkness, you have to learn to stand with the leaders that God has placed in your life. Because in seasons of darkness, that's when people change leaders. Huh? Judas. In that season when darkness reigned, Judas stopped following Jesus. And he started following the high priest and the Sanhedrin court. He changed leadership in a season of darkness. Yes, he was stealing. Yes, he did a lot of other things wrong, but he changed who he followed. He wasn't in the prayer meeting with the apostles. He changed who he followed. He'd been going on for a while now. In fact, he'd been Satan possessed for quite a few days now during that first Holy Week. He'd been meeting with these guys and asking what they would give him. He, he was one of these preachers that says, you know, I'll hang out with you, but you got to give me some money. He changed everything in that season of darkness. Now, you have to make your decisions. Hold on to the truths that you have learned. Hold on to the things that God has already done in your life. Hold on to the leaders. Follow the example of the leaders that God has placed in your life. This will pass. But if you're going through a storm, you don't want to decide to follow somebody else <laughs> at, the, at the last minute. You know, you, you've got to hold steady there. Now, the Bible is clear. Matthew 15, verse 14, the blind lead the blind. Both of them fall into the pit. Peter is very clear. 2 Peter 3, 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error, by the error, the false doctrines of lawless people and lose your own stability. New International Version says, and fall from your secure position. You start following somebody else in the middle of a storm. You're going to be in trouble. Lastly, we stand by remembering and focusing on our future. Now again, the key is verse, verse 1. This is how you should stand firm in the Lord. The context takes you back to verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? My friends, please hear me today. This is not our home. I don't know why we are so worried, but this is not our home. Young people, I know you think that you're going to live forever, but this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. What happens to this earth is irrelevant to our eternity. Our eternity is in heaven with Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven with Jesus. This life that we have here is just a temporary thing. This body, Paul calls literally in the Greek, a tent, a temporary dwelling place. He said, our citizenship is in heaven, that's our home, from which we eagerly await a Savior. We're waiting for the return 
of Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now, personally, I believe Paul here is talking about the rapture. He said, Philippians 3, verse 21, we wait a Savior, verse 20, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Now, when will our bodies be changed? The rapture. Paul says to the church on Thessalonica, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the Lord. On that day, our glorified bodies come. This, you know, sometimes as you get older, you look at your hands and you go, who do those belong to? My goodness. And you look at your feet and you go, those look like my grandpa's feet. And you realize they're my feet. Now, brothers and sisters, this physical body, this is not our home. This world that we live in is not our home. We have a glorified body coming. We eagerly await our Savior from heaven where our citizenship remains. You need to understand, this is just a short time in this place. We're going home. Now, if you're going to stand in a season when darkness reigns, you're not going to stand because you're all worried about, oh, everything in my life is tied to this world. Oh, what's happening to the world? You look at everything in this world and go, eh, this isn't my home. My home is in heaven. Oh, Pastor Summer, but my money is here. <laughs> no, your money's not here. <laughs> no, your money is not here. Your wealth is not here. You've laid up treasures in heaven. So please forgive me. You, you look so much at this world and you're so worried about everything going on and God would look at you and go, hey, excuse me. You're coming home soon. What are you so worried about? The peso might devalue to 100 to 1. So what? It doesn't affect your treasures in heaven. It doesn't affect your rewards in heaven. What are you worried about? See, brothers and sisters, yes, God will bless us in this life. But you've got to get a hold of it and just, just keep it on your insides. This world is not my home. I'm eagerly awaiting a Savior from heaven. That's my home. And he's going to change me in an instant. There's going to be a traffic jam over, over serenity as everybody comes out of the, the columbarium. And we're going to, if I'm sitting over here in the office, I go, whoa, 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 wait for me. I know the dead in Christ get to go first, but can I come right alongside him? I mean, we're, we're right next door. We're going home soon, brothers and sisters. Never lose faith in the rapture, what Paul calls the blessed hope of the church. Now, I've taught you today, you've got some things to think about. If you're going to stand, it's going to be because you make these four decisions. Now, next week, we're going to get back into Ephesians and talk about things like standing firm and how do you stand firm with your feet shod with the gospel of peace and putting on the full armor of God. We'll get into all that fun stuff. But too often we skip by this passage first, and I wanted to get this passage first. These are important truths. Let me pray for you today. Join hands together where you're sitting there in your sala. You're not sitting in cars, but you're sitting in your sala. Father, I lift you, your sons and your daughters today. You know, we sit here wondering if this thing will ever pass. But Lord, as we see the world change, we see all the symptoms of prophecy taking place. And Lord Jesus, come quickly. Our hearts cry out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want to go home. 
We look forward to that day, Jesus, when we're going to rise up in the air and we're going to see you face to face and everything about our salvation in that instant be finished. No more struggling with any temptations. No more struggling with sin. We will be like you, for we will see you as you are. We'll look into those beautiful eyes. We'll see that smile on your face. Oh, and we'll go home and start that marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll go to your beam of seat and receive all of our rewards. Lord, we have great days to look forward to. But Father, I lift to your sons and daughters right now. In Jesus' name, take these four simple truths, Lord, and let the Holy Ghost tattoo them in the forefront of their thinking. Let them not be shaken, Father. Everything can be shaken as being shaken right now, but let them not be shaken because they're holding to these things. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you again tomorrow morning, starting a brand new week, 6 a.m.